And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. In Amsterdam on Sunday, anger that had been bubbling for months at Ajax finally boiled over. The biggest fixture in Dutch football was abandoned and riot police dispatched as supporters tried to regain access to the stadium. Paisal, 3-0 Feyenoord. Feyenoord were 3-0 up when this game was abandoned at around 58 minutes. But that was only the start. These were chaotic scenes which are a shame of Dutch football. For club legends like Marco van Basten, Ajax's identity crisis is deepening. So today we explore how a club, Champions League semi-finalist under Eric ten Hag just a few years ago imploded. And while there's no shortage of targets for fans' frustration, what role has Arsenal's former transfer chief played in all of this? I'm Ayoa Kimwelere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. So joining me today, The Athletic's Kyle Anker and also Simon Hughes, who've this morning actually published a brilliant article all about the crisis unfolding at Ajax. We're also joined by Shord Mossu, chief football writer for Dutch newspaper Algemeen Dagblad. Uh, Shord, Ajax are playing at this moment in time. I think by the time we finish recording this podcast, the game would have finished. But take us back to what happened over the weekend. Everybody's really sad and, and, and angry about what happened on Sunday, of course. But first, it's kind of important to know that um, the Dutch FA, they they introduced a, a protocol last season after the Klassieker in uh, Rotterdam. Maybe you know, Ajax player Davy Klaassen was, was hit by a lighter from the, from the fence. And they um, kind of uh, made stricter rules to, to stop. Well, they decided to stop games immediately when objects are thrown onto the pitch. Um, and if that happens a second time in a game, the match will be stopped immediately. So that's that's kind of the the basic protocol that was introduced um, at the last Klassieker in uh, Rotterdam. That gave a lot of problems because a lot of um, games were stopped in the last few months. But it also gives power to the to fan groups who wants to kind of sabotage the the games. And that that's what basically happened on Sunday. Um, Feyenoord were the, were a the much better team. They were three uh, 0 up. And um, um, the, the fans from the F side, the, the, the hardcore fans uh, at the Ajax Stadium, they just tried to sabotage the match by throwing fireworks onto the pitch. So it was a deliberate act to end the game, basically. Yeah, this is remarkable. I was at the, the last Classica in Amsterdam in March. Ajax lost that one 3-2, pretty much a last-minute goal from Feyenoord. And as I said on Daily Briefing Show, it's really important to remember at Classicas, it's only home support there are no away fans there um and i believe sure that there was a there was a warning given out not long after the third goal from the stadium announcers and referees saying if you continue to throw pyrotechnics the game will get abandoned and ix fans essentially took that as a challenge and went we will we will continue this business to get this game called off because what's happening on the field is frankly 
an embarrassment to Ajax fans. They didn't want the game to, to be 90 minutes of possibly more goals conceded. So they went out of their way to, to get things finished. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the same happened uh, in a local derby in the second division, uh, Willem II uh, versus Nak Breda a couple of weeks ago. So the game was uh, was finished straight away after, I think, about an hour. And they had to uh, reschedule the game um, without people in the stadium. It, it is a problem. We have a problem with uh, with, with fan behavior in Holland, that, that's for sure. But we, we can't find a, a decent solution to uh, to end it. And as a consequence, uh, am I imagining that there won't be any fans at, at today's match? No, the stadium is, is totally empty. That, that's part of the protocol as well. So when a, when a game is finished or stopped, sorry, they have to finish it in an empty stadium um, as, as soon as possible. Just looking at the results so far this season, how do fans feel about manager Maurice Stein? Well, the manager is not, not very popular, of course, because they're, they're a 14th in the league which is unbelievable because they still have the, the most expensive squad in the Dutch league. Um, they're playing terrible football. Uh, the manager is on uh, gets a lot of critics, but kind of everybody gets a lot of crit- critics at Ajax at this moment. Everybody is under pressure from the technical director who already uh, was sacked last Sunday, Sven Mistintat, um, but also the board, the board of directors, the manager. Everybody's uh, afraid of losing his job at this moment. Sorry, Simon. This has been a long time coming, really. Um, it's since the Ten Hag era. You know, Ajax prominent in the Champions League, uh, playing beautiful football, fantastic players. Um, but it seems to have been a bit of a downward spiral since Ten Hag left the club. So to look back to 2019, Ajax got so close to the Champions League final. You know, within seconds, really, and, and lost to Spurs. Um, we went on to lose to Liverpool and. I think I think across Europe, I wouldn't say it was seen as a relaunch of Ajax because it felt inevitable that they'd lose players, but it felt, you know, that, that the club was in a, a decent position to sort of position itself as one of the sort of the European um, elite clubs again who could go far in competitions. Put it that way, you know, the, the money that the, the club would earn from some of the players that they sold should have put them in a position where they could reinvest adequately enough to to at least, you know, more on a more regular basis, I would say, appear in the, the sort of the knockout stages and the latter stages of the European competitions. That hasn't quite happened. When Mark Overmars left the club, I, I went over to Amsterdam to, to, to cover that story. And I'm sure everybody aware here is aware of the circumstances in which he left. Subsequently went... Again, at the start of last season, when there was a, a sort of a big vacuum, really, between his leadership and Edward van der Sar's leadership to the position that they found themselves in, when it wasn't quite clear who was really making the decisions about strategy. It took van der Sar a long time to, to announce Overmars's um, replacement, Sven Mislenstadt, who, who Short mentions was, was uh, sacked on Sunday. So there's been a big power vacuum at the club over a long period of time, you know, 18-month period of time, really. And I, it just seems like, you know, as should rightly put in, in his article, it feels like there's a lot of people who are responsible for this, um, you know, but no one in particular, which sort of shows you where the, the problems are, really. There's not really anyone in control of what's really happening at Ajax and hasn't been for some time. I think what Simon rightly identifies is what happens to a lot of clubs outside of... Let's say the 
the traditional heavy hitters in Champions League football, that, that gets far into Champions League. We've seen this with various Dortmund teams. We've seen this with the Monaco side of 2018-19 that got to Champions League and got knocked out against Juventus. Uh, and when that Ajax team of uh, you know, Matthias De Ligt, Frankie de Jong came through, there was also the talk that eventually all of these players would leave and de Jong would leave and, and Matthias de Ligt would leave and whatnot. And one big thing about that team, the original team that got to the semi-final and played against Spurs, the, the salary was quite high. The, the predecessor to Mark Overmars had to keep salaries. I believe the predecessor was told um, you couldn't give anyone a salary of less than a million euros a year. Uh, and then Overmars made a number of big swings to help build that first great Ten Hag team. So Daley Blind got brought back uh, and he was very important to, you know, vertical progression up the field. Uh, Dushan Tadic was, was taken from Southampton and he became the captain. And, you know, he, he got that rare 10 out of 10 from Lekeep for his performance against Real Madrid. So it looked as if they were going to avoid that, especially when Ten Hag created another good team, which had Ryan Gravenberg, Edson Alvarez and whatnot. And it really seemed that can, would continue. Then, of course, Overmars left in disgrace for very, very good reasons. And what's happened is not just... So, What's happened is this very odd split where you, there's a section of Ajax fans who would very much want him back. And he, you know, Van der Sar was cornered after the, the 3-2 Classica last season by Ajax fans. And a number of them said, we've got to bring Overmars back. He, he's the key to everything. Uh, and what's also become apparent is in the months since Overmars left, Overmars left basically zero institutional apparatus. So much of what made him, and I'm putting this in air quotes, good at his job was the fact that he was Mark Overmars and he had a, a big phone book and a WhatsApp that if you text certain people, they pay attention. Whereas what he should have done is built an infrastructure uh, and, and correctly identify scouting system. So you had a lot of people pushed into new roles to, to make up for the absence of Overmars who were given essentially no handover notes because Overmars left no handover notes. And then you've got into the, uh, sure, please don't take this in the wrong way. What I can only describe as a very Dutch form of decision-making, uh, which can very often lead to a lot of meetings, a lot of direct talking, but not necessarily a lot of things being done. I highly recommend the book Brilliant Orange. There's a section in there about how they built Amsterdam Schiphol Airport. You know, this is the biggest airport in the Netherlands. Uh, and before they did it, they, everyone involved went, we're not going to put a Dutch person in charge because if we do, this will take forever. So they deliberately went out and saw a uh, British architect. Totally true. Totally true. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's happened at Ajax now is you, you've had a power vacuum, a lack of handover notes, and the difficult attempt at modernization from Ajax. So Van der Sar uh, first tried to you know break up Overmars's job into a number of different roles. He gave a role to Hamstra and to Klaas-Jan Huntelaar in the wait for Sven Misseltat. Uh, Misseltat came in. Misseltat made a number of big swings, so they got a data scientist Vost van der Boot, and she wasn't well received by a number of traditionalists who, as you can imagine on Dutch television, are going, why is a data analyst working for a club the size of Ajax and why is this person? And I'm being, unfortunately, yes, you can imagine there's been quite some sexist comments about her as well. Uh, Mistletoe himself has a huge reputation for being a data person and looking for overachievers and, 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 and gems and essentially trying to do money ball. Uh, and his hit rate there is, is hit or miss. Uh, There's another individual, I believe, who got brought in, in a, and they have a field hockey background. I forget their name. True, that's Maurits Hendricks. Thank you. He, he's he's called uh, Chief Operations Officer or something. And what, what does that mean? 
<laughs> Nobody knows. Yes. Nobody so knows. this is a, it's a brand new roller. It's a brand new roller Ajax, and they've hired someone who's ex hockey, and again, it's caused a lot of controversy in, in Dutch television, where you've got the likes of Wesley Schneider and Raphael van der Vaart going, Ajax doesn't need this. And Maurits Hendricks is kind of a, a famous guy in Holland, well known for hockey, and he was kind of brought in to help van der Sar basically, because uh, Edwin van der Sar is is like a former player, a lot of charisma, a lot of history. Um, but he's he's not a typical director CEO kind of guy, so Hendricks was brought in to help him, um, but it didn't work out. Van der Sar left, and uh, well, it, it got even more complicated. Basically, can I can I ask you a question? There's one thing that I, I felt writing. I always feel about writing about Ajax. You cannot mention Ajax in any article without mentioning. Johan Cruyff, you know, it's it's impossible to actually write, mainly because the stadium is named after him now. So you're literally obliged to <laughs> write it to get your, your facts right. But how much how much of it a strength is his history and personality upon the club? But also how much does it hold the club back to some extent? Because, you know, a lot of his methods were would be probably considered now traditional at the time. They were revolutionary, but now they probably you know, he was quite obviously very instinctive in the way he he sort of ran his football teams and and organised his players. Whereas, you know, Carl was mentioning there about Misslenstadt and, and, you know, the whole data-led approach. You know, it just feels like there's a big cultural sort of clash there between what Ajax want to be and, you know, what they have been. Well, you've said it right. Um, it's a combination of uh, romance tradition, culture, and, and the way to modernization. Um, football changed a lot. And I think Eric Den Haag and, and Mark Overmars, they, they both knew and they, they were kind of modern kind of football guys. And they um, built the bridge between former centuries and, and, and this age. And they did it right. They did it very good because, and in a very old fashioned way, in the way they, they work together, um, as Carl said, um, Overmars was was kind of an old school kind of guy. He he, he didn't work with Excel sheets. He, he was just texting people when he wanted to buy a player. He just texted the amount, and that that was it. They had a, a very special relationship on the football side of the story, and that kind of worked out. And I think that covered up how complicated Ajax is in a, cu a cultural way. There were just two guys on the right time in history working together very good. And um, when they left, uh, everything was uh, complicated again. Mm. It was like back in the old days. Yeah, Sami, we were talking about this just before we came on in terms of major clubs, big clubs, um, a lot of people handling a lot of money. Um, and then you sort of lift the lid and you look behind the curtain and you're like, does anyone actually know what they're doing? Uh, you can name names in the Premier League, for instance. I mean, how surprising is it that Ajax are in this situation from your perspective? I'm really torn on this discussion because despite what I said before the podcast, <laughs> when I was quite dismissive, <laughs> but I, 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 I am quite torn because I do tend to think that the, the, the football clubs at the, very, at the highest end are still in some ways run by shall we say, you know, dictators really, you know, sort of the force of personality, you know, sometimes overrides everything else that's going on. So maybe I'm looking at too much through the prism of Liverpool, you know, who I write about quite a lot, where Jurgen Klopp has got all the power. Now that could be seen as a good thing if a manager sticks around for, 
long enough to to justify you know all the collateral that comes with that the problem is is when you know you you give the power to people who might move on or might not move on now obviously with mark overmars i guess his departure would have been considered unexpected and certainly in the circumstances i think the key is to try and sort of strike the balance between you know a system where there are certain measures in place for balances and checks and one where a manager is or a manager or a leadership group if you like that's a new football lingo isn't it? leadership groups are allowed to sort of express themselves in in a way that allows them to perform now i don't know anywhere that really does that if i'm being honest where you've got the balance between the two so it's this like almost untouchable thing really you know you you, you know, people will point towards well, Brighton are doing really well, but they obviously are by their standards, but it's still not being tested at the, the, the highest, very highest level. So I just feel at the moment there's this sort of untouchable thing where no club really has got it right. Maybe it is impossible to get it right. Guys, I got some breaking news. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, the chairman of the super, supervisory board of Ajax, Pierre Ehringa, he decided to leave um, just a few minutes ago. Wow. Uh, 45, oh. <laughs> 45 minutes before the game. So he's the next guy who's leaving. Um, and he was and appointed he, in March, is that, that that was right? Isn't sure? That's right, yeah. He was appointed in March and, and there was a lot of um, critics on him as well from the from the fans. They, they kind of um, uh, really wanted him to leave and he just left. So won't be the last and um, he's the second. This feels controversial to say. If you are not an Ajax fan, and if you are not someone who grew up loving Ajax and watching them in the Champions League, this is this might be good for Dutch football. You know, yeah. Ajax win four. The Ajax traditionally win the Dutch league. They won four in a row uh, when Eric Ten Hag came in, and they often go on runs where they win three or four titles in a row. And then they they essentially have to do this, have to have this implosion, have to make this sort of mistake to open the door for final, to open the door for PSV Eindhoven, to open the door for FC20, to open the door for AZ Akmo. And uh, there was a lot of talk on the Ten Hag when Ten Hag was there that Ajax were going to try and turn themselves into the Bayern Munich of the Netherlands, which having, I'm still very, very angry about how last season's Bundesliga ended. I don't watch too much Bundesliga now because I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Bayern will win the title. And I only really get involved when I think a team's going to finish second, which is now its own miniature trophy. So Ajax were attempting to do that sort of action to the Dutch league, in, in to, to, to use that Champions League revenue to, 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 to create the richest squad, to get the best players, to get the best manager, and to be so far ahead of everyone else that they were going to just basically compete with other Champions League teams. And if you are an Ajax fan and you are a fan of history, that's great. If you're a fan of FC Twente and AZ Akmar, Ajax being in a bit of a mess is probably quite good. If you're a fan of Feyenoord, this is probably quite fun because you've for years you've been saying Ajax are horribly arrogant and, you know, and they're not that special and it's all in front of you. So this is this is the difficult thing. I was speaking to my very good Dutch friend who's based in Amsterdam at the moment and he said you know, Ajax tried being the Bayern Munich of the Netherlands and now they're like the Manchester United of the Netherlands in that they've got all this money but they've just, just weird dysfunction around um, and a little bit like Manchester United, they've got here because they talk a lot about the past. They spend a lot of money trying to to bring back the glory days of the past and they haven't quite figured out what a modern football club does of that size. The massive difference between this crisis and the last big Ajax crisis in 2010, between 2010 and 2012, was that Johan Cruyff was still alive. That was a very complicated crisis as well. 
comparable to this one, a very cultural and, and political kind of crisis as well. But the difference was um, for the for the main audience, like um, there was Johan Cruyff and, the, and all the other guys against Johan Cruyff. So it was like a, a cartoonesque kind of situation. You were with Cruyff or against him. Behind it, it was just as complicated as it is now, but um, that made it kind of easy to understand for the main public. And now nobody really knows who to support in, in rebuilding the club. So nobody knows where, where, where Ajax has to go in the, in, in the next few years. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Who's in charge of doing this? Who's in charge of putting this jigsaw back together? <laughs> so we at least see a, a progressive line of where Ajax could possibly be. It might not be this season, but at least so fans can say, okay, I can see it now. This guy is, or this person is doing the job. And what they're going to do is, is bring in blah, blah, blah from here, blah, blah, blah. Because we can start building the Ajax that we love again to start challenging at the highest level. And there are two two names mentioned very, very often. One of them is is Louis van Gaal, uh, because he's 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 kind of the most influential living figures now. But then uh, we're going back. We're going back. True, true, true. But he does. He 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 um he won't do it because he has he has uh, physical problems, health problems. So he, he already told that he he doesn't he doesn't want to have a function at uh, at Ajax at this time. And the other name, which is kind of funny, is the manager of Feyenoord, <laughs> Arne Sloth. He's kind of he's um, generally um, regarded as as the best manager in Holland at this moment. He's he's playing football uh, very close to what Ajax wants to, where Ajax wants to be, and he he's, he seems like um, the perfect Ajax manager, but working at Feyenoord, and it's impossible to to get him. Uh, they won't get him straight away. Uh, maybe they get him in, a, in about five to ten years, but for now that's not an option. Finally, we'll never let him go to to Ajax. Um, but well, that that's the thing. Uh, Fajal is a guy from the past who doesn't want to do it anymore. They won't get Arne Slot in the next few years. No way. Um, so there's nobody else. You have a, a lot of former players like Marco van Basten and Wesley Snyder and uh, Clarence Seedorf and. But they don't have the the the, the power and the influence um, to do it on their own, you know. There isn't the person at Ajax to go and get the person that's needed to do it. It's 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 worth just very briefly explaining that structure, isn't it? I think I've got this right. So there's a supervisory board that appoints like the technical directors and you know leads leads the the recruitment around technical director, sporting director, who then has the responsibility of hiring the manager. 
who then all combine to work to sign the players. And at the moment, the players aren't good enough, allegedly. You know, the manager isn't, you know, very popular and isn't viewed as being good enough. You know, there's a, a big vacuum at the technical sporting area. And as sure as I said, the, the head of the supervisory board has just resigned. So who is making the decisions? It's a real, it's a constitutional uh, mess. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. I just want to bring back a name that was mentioned earlier, Sven Mislintat. Arsenal fans might remember him as being head of recruitment there. Where does he come into this story? No, he was sacked on Sunday after uh, after the, uh, the the final game or the first part of the final game. Um, well, they couldn't find a, a successor uh, of Mark Overmars for 16 months. And, and they um, tried to do it with uh, with a combination of technical directors, as you told before, um, Van der Sar, Huntelaar and Amstra, and that didn't work out. So in the end, they kind of decided to get somebody from with a totally different background. Uh, he's German. He worked for Arsenal and Borussia Dortmund. And they kind of give, gave him the keys to solve a few problems. They had a, a massive problem with the, the player salaries. Uh, without reaching the Champions League, it was impossible to pay um, that many players that big salaries at Ajax. So he, he had to, he had to reduce um, uh, the salaries. Uh, he had to sell a lot of players because the team was kind of finished in a, in a certain way. Players were get, getting a bit older. Some some players had to leave. So he had a lot of work to do, a lot. Uh, when he started, uh, I think it was in April, uh, when he started, so it was very complex. In a certain way, he was kind of independent. He he was just thinking, I do it my own way, and if they don't like me, then they're gonna sack me. That's fine. Uh, it's my my way or the highway, if you know what I mean. And that's how he worked. So he just started in, in his own way. He used his own network. He didn't uh, want to talk with the, the the old scouts at Ajax because he didn't take them very seriously. No, there was no. A supervisory board that kind of uh, checked him on doing transfers, um, on um, doing his work. And yeah, well, that that finally led to that many critics that there was no way back for him to uh, to leave. Mm. What would you say were his biggest triumphs or, dare I say, mistakes uh, at Ajax? Because I, I think about him being bringing... Uh, 
Steph Lichtenstein uh, to, to Arsenal. That didn't go down too well. But, you know, obviously people will bring players in and some might work, some might not work. In terms of the personnel that he has brought to Ajax, how has that been viewed? Well, the, the strange thing was that he, he, he uh, bought 12 players and only one of them was kind of known in Holland, Branko van der Bomen, the only Dutch guy of the 12. And um, he, 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 um, he bought players from the second division in, in France and in Germany, a player from uh, St. Pauli in uh, Germany, a player from Metz in France, Miko Tatze. He, he bought a player from Middlesbrough, as you know, um, Akpom. Mm, former Arsenal, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, all his 12 signings were kind of um, unknown, young, pretty expensive though. And uh, everybody was surprised that he, he, he didn't, um, didn't get any, how do you say it, um, we call it zekerheidjes in in Dutch, but it's a player where where, where you kind of kn know uh, what you get, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you um, take back, for example, Joel Veldman of Brighton, you you know that he's an Ajax player, and you know that he he's used to a certain level. He didn't get Noah Lang, the the the, the PSV player now. Uh, he didn't get Jordi Jordi Schouten, uh, who's a a good mid midfielder at Bologna who went to PSV as well. There was no certainty among all 12 players. That was the strangest thing of everything, I think, because when you get just uh, three or four um, good Dutch players who speak the language, uh, who know the culture, the culture of playing as well, then there's no problem when you get six, six youngsters. It's, it's, it's like an experiment. Mm. He, he brought in 12 players out of the blue. And Ajax turned into kind of a Sven Mislintat experiment. There's, there's obviously the, you know, the accusations against them, which were made last week in the Dutch press, which relate specifically to a transfer that was made very late in the window. Uh, Borne Sosa, who came from Stuttgart, which was Sven Mislintat's former club, where it was the, the suggestion is, and I have to be careful what I say here legally, but that. Basically, the, the deal for this player was sort of sanctioned through an agency which owns shares in a private company that Mislinstadt founded four years ago. And, you know, there's a problem for Ajax with that because of, you know, they float on the stock exchange, don't they? And, you know, there's, there's complications around that for Ajax. who subsequently launched an internal investigation. This was, you know, days before uh, Mislinstadt got sacked. Although when... He was sacked after the the final game on on Sunday. They the club suggested in its statement that that the sacking had nothing to do with this investigation. So it will be really interesting to see whether the club still investigates whether it has the power to do so because he's no longer an employee. You know, I mean, he 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 was targeted, wasn't he, on on Sunday? You know, for for criticism as well. Um, I think it should be added along with the supervisory board. You know, they came in for the for the most sort of vocal criticism. He brought in around 160 million euros in, so, uh, in sales, which is quite impressive considering one or two of the players, you know, were, were top level players, but not all of them. You know, I would say he probably got some good, you know, decent money for a lot of the players, but, um, you know, half of that was spent on, you know, on on players who, as uh, Shord says, has question marks over their abilities. I was going to say, Sean, um, where, back to sort of Carl's point as well, where, where does this leave the the, the Dutch league? Um, because look, you know, people that might not watch the Dutch league might be used to seeing Ajax up top a lot. Now we have an interesting bit of competition. Um, this season in particular, 
if Ajax aren't going to take the top prize, who else are we looking at to to maybe take the top prize this season? Well, it will be a race between uh, Feyenoord and PSV, I think. They're the best teams in the league at this moment. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is that uh, for the first time in years, we, we've got uh, two straight Champions League spots, uh, places. In the last few seasons, only the champion was in the in the group stage of the Champions League. Now we got two straight in the Champions League. So um, that gives a lot of power to Feyenoord and PSV financially to, um, to kind of uh, narrow the gap with Ajax. That makes it very interesting what, what you said about being the Bayern Munich of Holland. The big difference between the Dutch League and the Bundesliga is, of course, you can't keep your best players. Bayern Munich can keep the best players. They can keep their best squad. And uh, Ajax have, have, have to sell every summer. So that makes it kind of difficult or, or different. Um, but um, I think it's very interesting that there's going to be um, a kind of a power exchange in the in the Dutch league, it's 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 always good to have uh, um, more uh, strong teams than just one. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about that. Maybe I'll come to you about that, Simon. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a Dutch football fan, uh, you have to be remiss to the fact that you are going to lose your best players every season, and it's it's quite a an interesting strategy in in general. Um, is that sustainable over a long period of time? I mean, I guess it works within the Dutch league, but if you're trying to win the Champions League, for instance, if you're trying to win the top prizes across Europe, there's moving parts around the football club as well. It's not just about what your football club does; it's what other Dutch clubs are doing at the same time. You know, so. Ajax will hope that their, you know, that their crisis, so obviously won't go on for too long, but doesn't coincide with a period where suddenly, you know, PSV it feels more like Feyenoord at the moment are really building, you know, the momentum and becoming, you know, if you were a a top Dutch player at the moment, you had a choice between Ajax or Feyenoord, given how Feyenoord started the Champions League campaign, you're probably going to choose Feyenoord, aren't you? So. I do. I, I. I. think running a football club is actually t- terribly hard. <laughs> you know, whichever level you're at, it's not. It's not easy. There's not easy solutions. But the concern, as I said, for Ajax at this moment in time is that the it, it feels like a club that has lost, has almost lost its institutional memory and is trying to trying to re refine it without really knowing as well whether using that memory as a force of strength is the right thing to do. Well, it is uh, literally rock bottom uh, if you compare it to uh, the history of Ajax. Um, when they lo- have lost the game against Feyenoord, then they have the, the, the worst start of a season since uh, the 64-65 season, uh, which was kind of a stone age in, in Dutch history. It can't get worse, but if you look at the schedule, they have to... Um, play in the in the next six games they have to play five away including Brighton including Ike including Utrecht which is difficult including AZ so I can't see any um, any uh, massive change in the next few weeks to be honest Well, since recording, as Carl rightly predicted earlier on in the pod, there is no dramatic comeback from Ajax. Feyenoord scored straight from the off, finishing 4-0 winners to add more misery to the Amsterdam team. Thanks so much to our guests, Sjord, Simon, and also Carl for your mad prediction as well. 
Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today and read that Ajax piece in full, as we mentioned at the top of the pod, for a special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.